But burlesque was a kind of show that people went to see in the 1930s till the 40s. And it was kind of like a spin-off of vaudeville, but it was more risque. And the stars of the burlesque show were, were striptease artists. And that was kind of a little bit by accident. I mean, I could go way far, way into it, but it's a little bit by accident, like a performer supposedly started doing her quick change before she left the stage and people went crazy. And so they were like, you need to do that again. So it kind of this deliberate striptease to music started like in the 30s. Hi, all. Welcome back to another episode of the Allison Interviews podcast. I know it's been a minute. I took some time off, as I do from time to time. I just got back after the first of the year. And uh, having time away, you know, like I took about 11 days off for the holidays and having time to just be by the beach, hang out with animals, hang out with my son, hang out with people I love who love me, pick sunflowers. I mean, just all these things that we don't get to do when we're grinding. And I know that grind culture is such a thing, especially on social media. It's sort of like we have this belief system in our culture that the more you work, somehow the more valuable you are. But I I, I just don't see things that way. And, and maybe that's why I buck the trend. Like I, even with the podcast, right, I'll put out a certain amount of episodes and then I'll take some time away because I, and don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm still working, still got to pay the bills, but I'm working at other things. But since this is kind of a passion project and a labor of love for me, I don't feel the need to just crank out the episodes like every single week or even, or a couple of times a week. I really just try to sit in my authenticity. And I know I've said this before, but I really only interview people that I genuinely care to learn about and that I think will bring value to you guys. And so that's that's how I operate, you know, for better or for worse. And speaking of which, my guest on this episode is none other than Miss Dita Von Teese. She is, I would say, the world's most famous burlesque performer uh, at this point in time. And it, it's such a funny way of putting it because burlesque is an art form and that goes back to, I believe, the 1920s and 1930s. She actually gave a, a, a nice little succinct history lesson on uh, the history of burlesque and the art form of it and why it's it's really kind of a vintage art form that doesn't exist very much anymore other than her kind of blowing the trumpet uh, for, th for this art form of burlesque. And I think that that's why she has gotten to the level that she has. And I was actually so so excited to hear. Uh, this was, I think, a couple of months back when I, I heard the announcement that she had gotten her own Las Vegas residency at the Jubilee Theater. And I was really excited for her because, I mean, she's a burlesque performer and she is the burlesque performer. And if anybody deserves a Las Vegas residency, you know, the most famous showgirl on the planet certainly deserves to headline her own Las Vegas residency. So her show, I believe it's Dita Von T's Las Vegas, a jubilant review, or Dita Las Vegas, a jubilant review, but you can go to ticketmaster.com forward slash Dita Vegas. 
That's Ticketmaster.com forward slash Dita Vegas. And you'll be able to see uh, dates and times and, and purchase tickets there. And you can also follow her on Instagram at Dita Vontese. And I believe she has different pictures and different clips from the show. And it's really quite spectacular. She is kind of, Dita Vontese is, she's a, a living piece of artwork. And yes, she's a human being, but I just have always been fascinated with her from the tippy top of her head to the bottom of her toes. She just really is, she lives and breathes this passion that she has for the old glamour girls of the early part and mid part of the 20th century. Everything from her carefully combed dark hair to her red lipstick and her, her makeup to her wardrobe. I mean, she just, and, and when you speak to her, you can see that it's real. It's, you know, it's not put on, it's not a character. It really is who she is and it's how she chooses to live her life. And there's just something so unique and absolutely gorgeous about that. And we had an amazing conversation like I said, about the history of burlesque and how it kind of slowly over the years transitioned into what we now call stripping or exotic dancer and and kind of how that all happened. But there's something about burlesque and the way that she does it. It's sensual, it's erotic, but it's it harkens back to a more innocent time when we didn't need quite so much stimulation to get our dopamine going. And you could be titillated and aroused and excited, not just sexually, but emotionally, spiritually, intellectually, by something that was more subtle, right? It was all about the art of the striptease and the costumes and the energy of the performers. And I think that's what she exudes from every cell of her being. So you're really going to enjoy this interview. Sit back, relax, and listen to this very interesting, very enlightening conversation with Miss Dita Vontese. So my first question is actually an obvious one. What took you so long to get to Vegas since your art form is made for Vegas? Um, I think what took so long was I kept getting kind of like offers to be in a little room on a little stage, like a lounge type thing. Like people didn't see the show. And so earlier this year, I was doing a world tour and I was at the Chicago theater, which is a beautiful, you know, I do, I do these historic theaters the past several years, big, big stages. And I did a sold out show at the Chicago theater and live nation and Caesar's palace or Caesar's entertainment came to see the show. And they finally went, Oh, wow, this is like a really big show. It needs to be on a big stage. So that's how it happened. And that's how I ended up in the Jubilee theater, which is a really iconic stage in Las Vegas. It's like where the Rat Pack was and where the last two big showgirl reviews were since the 70s. Perfect. So for people who don't know, and I don't know much myself, my only reference of burlesque was seeing the show about Gypsy Rose Lee when I was a kid. But I and, and obviously I know who you are. But can you kind of give a little bit of a history of the art form of burlesque and why you love it so much? Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you said that because I, I was like, oh, she's going to say the movie burlesque, which had zero burlesque in it. But yeah, Gypsy was actually one of my, was that probably my first, Natalie Wood and Gypsy was my first 
you know, first time I ever saw burlesque on screen and one of the few places where you could see a pretty, you know, authentic, as far as we know, uh, representation of burlesque, a very highly glamorous, you know, because Gypsy was like the biggest star of burlesque yeah. at that time. So, you know, obviously what she was doing was like, and also that movie is her fantasy of how she was performing, you know, so there's, but that's a whole nother story. But burlesque was a kind of show that people went to see in the 1930s till the 40s. And it was kind of like a spinoff of vaudeville, but it was more risque. And the stars of the burlesque show were, were striptease artists. And that was kind of a little bit by accident. I mean, I could go way far, way into it, but it's a little bit by accident, like a performer supposedly started doing her quick change before she left the stage and people went crazy. And so they were like, you need to do that again. So it kind of this deliberate striptease to music started like in the thirties. And there were lots of great stars like Lily St. Cyr and Gypsy Rose Lee that came out of burlesque. And there, there was a lot of like really raucous comedy too, like a lot of, you know, sexual tinged comedy in burlesque as well. That's what kind of differentiated it from vaudeville. So it was a variety show. And I want to kind of, if you could explain the sort of the nuance, the difference between what people know today as stripping, mm -hmm. right? Or exotic dancers versus burlesque. I know that burlesque is a little bit more about the tease. It's more subtle. It's more performance art. Can you expand on that a little bit? I mean, I might be the wrong person to speak to about making a case for how different they are because it's really about a different place in time. And obviously like neo-burlesque is different than it was in the thirties, but they're all relative. Like, listen, like the stripper pole was invented in the striptease clubs, which were just like, once the burlesque theaters were closing because the law was shutting them down, it moved to clubs and they put the pole in there because girls were like drinking with the customers and it all changed. So it was kind of like, it is part of the evolution of striptease. And in fact, the word stripper is a 1930s term. I have like a huge archive of authentic books from the 1920s through, you know, the end of burlesque. And, you know, the term stripper came from that. So I don't really like to say I'm, and I don't feel like I need to like say, oh, what I'm doing is better or or more highbrow. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, is it? Like well, I have a very big female audience. And when I first started performing these feather fan dances and these burlesque acts in the nineties, I had a very, you know, a male fan base, but that changed a lot over the years. And mostly women are going to these shows. I mean, a lot of the women are driving the ticket sales, like bringing their husband or boyfriend or partner to see a burlesque show, which is, you know, kind of unusual. And I'm very grateful for that fact that there's like, I don't, I don't think it's, to me, it seems like perfectly logical because I think women love the idea of, well, first of all, I think maybe some of them are living vicariously through you. Some of them are learning from you. And I think women love the idea of being sensual and even sexual, but in a way that is kind of elevated and on their own terms. Yes. I think women view is very powerful mm -hmm. in that way. 
And I know that when the audience shifted for me, it was when I came out with my first book, which was a big, big release all over the world with HarperCollins. And that was in 2002. I was at the same time on the cover of Playboy magazine, which back when people actually like paid attention who was on the cover of Playboy, it was a lot of celebrities doing it still. And it did cause a shift. It was like, oh my God, what's this? This is not the quintessential Playboy girl. And then in my book, I spoke about why I looked at burlesque and why I was interested in fashioning myself like a pinup girl and wearing red lipstick and how it made me feel empowered and you know, being liberated and taking control of your sensuality, you know, that's what I wanted to do and exist in this world that I could create myself and be in control of it, you know? So I think that telling my story early on, like about why burlesque and why this world that I think resonated with other women that kind of frankly need permission and to be that way sometimes in their lives. And the other thing is like my touring show, since I started touring like 15 years ago, my show's always been, I hate using these words even now because they're so like, you know, co-opted by brands that aren't authentic to it. But my show's always been inclusive and diverse. And that's kind of by accident because I just found that I wanted to feel like there was representation and the best burlesque acts I'd ever seen in this day and age. I was like, whoa, she's just blew my mind. She's totally different than what, than me or what I expect to see or having, you know, and always I've had just as many men in the show performing striptease as well. So I, I think, you know, all of those things have, you know, kind of laid the groundwork for what I'm doing now in Las Vegas. Okay. And is Dita Von Tees a character that you put on and take off? Or is this just who you are to your core 24-7 when you're home, when you're with your family, your best friend, whatever? Yeah, I don't feel like I've ever had a character. I just like beauty and glamour. And I think it was just as easy for me to put on this like velvet robe this morning and feel good. Like these are the clothes that I like to buy. And I feel like I live in the theater. I like dressing for the day and the occasion. And I never thought about changing my persona because I realized very early on that when I let people see me as me and it's authentic and you see Heather Sweet from the farming town in Michigan that, you know, that's, all part of it it's not because i i watch other performers and i can see right through when they're like wow that person is really trying to be sexy really trying to be fancy like doing the talking in a dramatic way it's just like phony and i can see right through it and i think that like the authenticity and letting people see you is is really an important thing and anytime you see my show you see the way i the way i am like i certainly could have like created a whole persona, but I didn't need that. I felt, you know, my only makeover is about my exterior, not my interior. (laughs) Would you say that like, how do I put this? Heather Sweet and Dita Von What do you guys have in common? What is different about Dita than Heather? And for people who don't know, Heather is your birth name. 
Yeah, people always are like, how can your name really be Heather Sweet? And I'm like, well, you should have heard what my dad wanted it to be. But my mom said it sounded like a stripper name. Um, (laughs) My real name is Sweet. I don't know. I mean, see, the thing is, like, I never really, it's all like kind of a happy accident, you know, like when I was starting I picked the name Dita Von Tees in the 90s. I was working in a strip club. I was posing for these Playboy newsstand specials, which were like the book that you would get at every other month of girls in bikinis. Yes, I was in okay. one. I know the yeah. Playboy. Yeah. Book of lingerie. So, yeah. you know, I was in these and I, and they made me pick a name. And I was like, didn't, I really was just 21 year old girl that was having fun posing for pinups I was the world's most famous fetish model (laughs) you know like and I was just having fun I did not ever intend that I was going to be like trademarking it and having my own lingerie line and perfumes and clothes and all these things I never thought like oh I'm going to be doing this thing and calculating it I just had this name that I picked because it was fun to like have an alter ego, especially when you don't want people to really know your real name when you work in a strip club. Well, I'm, I'm me, dummy, I used my real name. I used my real name. <laughs> Did you have a different name? Huh? Did you use a different name? For no, the- I used my real name. Oh, no, I- <laughs> well, maybe you weren't working in a strip club. <laughs> no, I wasn't. <laughs> oh, I mean, I was just having fun with it. Like for me, as someone who loves old movies um, from the thirties and forties and fifties, like all of those were stage names from Marilyn Monroe to Rita Hayworth to Jean Harlow. Like they were all fantasy names. And so I did the same thing. So it's like, for me, it's like a little, like just a little wink of the eye and just something I was doing for fun. I mean, I literally picked out the name Dita Von when I was like flipping through the phone book back when there used to be a phone book. So I don't know how people do it now. Maybe they have like, I think they have like burlesque name generators. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. So it's like very authentic. It's not manufactured. It was like this authentic series of events. I like that. If I had to do it all again. I would do it maybe differently. But even my my name, like I picked out the name Dita Von Treese with an R in it. I called Playboy and they printed it Dita Von Tees. And I was like, oh, well, that's whatever. You know, I did call them and I was like, I think you guys, you guys, the name was, it was Von Trees. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll get it right next, next issue. <laughs> and then um, they never did. And I was kind of like, whatever, I guess I'm Dita Von Tees. And like, I didn't even think about the Dita Von Tees and the strip tees. That was completely an accident. And so it's just all of this, like, here I am. I didn't, nothing I anticipated, honestly. And what is it about, because you're a natural blonde, right? Yeah. Well, you were a natural blonde. So what is it about the dark raven hair that just spoke to you as opposed to being blonde? I was very shy, first of all. Super shy all through school and high school, like, you know. And so for me, like, as I was you know, in my early twenties, I was trying to like find my power and I dyed my hair black. Cause I felt like that was going to give me like this sense of power or like, like put up a facade of, of strength and power. And I was also obsessed with Hedy Lamar too, at the time. So, yeah, I don't know. I just felt like I wanted to do the opposite. You know, I, I played with my hair. I went natural blonde and then I dyed it red. And then it was like kind of a burgundy. And then I was like, there's nowhere to go here, but black. And I just had fun with it. And it kind of counteracted my shyness somehow. 
okay. um, especially because I was, you know, where I wear all black and the red lipstick and the, you know, hats and all these things. It just kind of made me feel very like mysterious and unapproachable. When I was younger, I kind of felt like I wanted to be unapproachable in a way, you know, I mean, okay. it's not the way I am now, but like when I was 20 years old, I was like, I'm going to be totally unapproachable in this strip club. I'm going to create this like, and it was kind of, you know, when I was posing for Playboy, I was like the anti-Playboy. I was the anti-blonde yes. tan. And we were very like, well, I guess Betty Page did kind of have a sun-kissed look at times, but you kind of were a throwback to her kind of uh, persona or her look. Yeah. I loved Betty Page in the early years. I actually was on the first ever interview with her on a radio show and I was in touch with her over the years. Um, she invited me to church once. Nice. I would have gone, but I was in Paris at the time because I was living there. But yeah, she was a big idol for me. And yeah, but there was one point where I didn't, you know, I was very decisive in not being a lookalike. Like I was a lookalike in the beginning. I had the bangs and then, you know, suddenly there was like more people wearing the Betty Page hair. And I was like, oh, I'm going to do something else. So I, you know, explored lots of different eras and kind of became like a mix of different eras that I loved. And let's talk about, so in your love life, in your relationships, how is it for your partners, your romantic partners, in terms of how they have felt over the years about your career, about your image, about your performances? Tell me a little bit about that. I mean, I guess throughout my dating life, it's, you know, everybody's an individual. Like I've certainly had those like new relationships where you find out pretty quickly that that's not, you know, a girl that does what I do is not for them, you know, mm -hmm. but like I had a lot of boyfriends in the early nineties, like, you know, that were like, it's funny because people though, I never even say anything about it, but like there's besides the people that people know that I dated, I dated like a bunch of other like actors and rock stars and stuff in the nineties and nobody knows about it. Um, Cause it was a different time and we were all living in orange County. So, but yeah, like there's the ones that always uplifted it and like understood it and loved it. You know, I was very involved in the rockabilly scene. So I was like, you know, dating those kinds of people. So I don't know. I mean, I remember, you know, sometimes dating people and they just didn't really get it, but it just didn't go far enough for it to matter. You know, I think, yeah, it's just not for everyone the same way. Like I'm not, there's certain men I don't, don't want to date because of what they do either. Well, yeah. <laughs> Like, there's a whole, I got, I, when I think about it, I got a laundry list of the kind of like jobs that men can have that I don't want to date them. Like, I don't want to date a politician. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I always say it. like, tell me what you think about this. I feel like I have to be with somebody who achieved their dreams or made their vision a reality in one way or another. It can't be like, well, I always wanted to do this, but I'm doing mm -hmm. this just because like, because I, I really feel like it says something about a person that they had a vision, they had a passion and they took the steps to make it happen. Like it says something about who they are. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I can agree with that. But I think of more in terms of like someone who has a strong sense of self, they know mm -hmm. who they are, they know what they want to do. They don't have to have like status and success and all of these things, but you have to have like a, a confidence, a quiet confidence, you know, like, 
and just be a good person. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes. yeah. And especially at this stage of my life, I'm just like, I don't need any of the drama. I don't want to be in the news for any of my relationships. Yeah. I just, I, I know that's a great way to fuel your publicity and sell tickets, but I've never had the wherewithal for it. <laughs> so, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? It's like, you, we see it all the time. I go, gosh, that person is so successful because they do all, you know, they're also like always like tweeting and, you know, all like arguing with people and I'm like I don't have I don't have I can't do it you know yeah have you ever been in a situation or have you ever felt like you've painted yourself into a corner because people expect Dita Von Tees and you know they expect like what's you know they expect what's advertised and not the full three-dimensional human being I don't feel like I've really had that. I think, I don't think so. I'm kind of like, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it because like I am. Yeah. I, I don't think I really have ever had that. I think people know what they're getting because they get to know me for first well enough. You know, I don't think anybody and everyone can see the difference between like what I do for my work on stage, but then you see me on stage being me, like laughing through the strip tease, having fun. Like it's it's not like to me, I try to counteract all of the strip tease part with something totally different. Like you couldn't really say, like, oh, that was a, you know, I've never been arrested because I never sexualized something on stage. You know, it's like I don't know how to explain it, but I try to always counteract what I'm doing with something that is just fun and playful and like a fantasy and never too heavy, if that makes sense. So I don't know. I, I don't think I've really ever had that issue. Well, you bring up a good point. When you are performing around the world, there are different cultural norms and different laws around the world. And I don't, I don't know if there are in, from state to state as well. I really don't know, but do you have to tailor your performances based on whatever, I guess the decency laws or moral laws are in different cultures? You know, if I am not allowed, there's many states in our country I can't perform in because I'm a woman. I mean, I had a whole conversation with like, I, if I were, performing a drag show, it would be okay. Although the drag queens are now getting the heat as well. But like a few years ago, I was trying to go into Nashville because I have a big following there and, and the South. And I had a conversation on the phone that went like this, like, you know, I said, oh, there's parameters, you know, we're a blue, you know, we have all these, these laws. And I was like, okay, well, tell me what they are. Cause I would love to try to accommodate them. And they said, okay, well, you have to cover like the under boob. So, and I was like, okay, cool. So you can wear like a full bra or bikini. Oh, not a bikini. Cause you have to cover the side boob. Okay. Okay. We can do like a full thing. That's fine. And what about like, can you wear like tights and like a big, like fifties brief? Oh no. Because if we see the lines where your, your rear end and your leg meet, you can't see that line. Okay. So you can't wear like a bikini. You can't wear tights. No, you have to wear something like a bike shorts. And I said, a bike shorts. This is, I wish I'd recorded the call. A bike shorts. Okay. Bike shorts. Got it. And then I said, okay, well, we have just as many men in the show as women. So explain to me what they, what are their rules? Oh, there's none for the men. There's no <laughs> rules. 
they can wear, they go as long as they're covering their, you know, their parts. And I was like, really? And it was a serious conversation. And then, so I had that conversation and like many people on the call about, you know, meanwhile, and then I tried again, like a year later, cause I was like, Hey, the drag shows are all going into the theaters I want to do. Can I do it too? And they're like, no, you cannot. And I was really like, wow. Um, they told me not at all. I said, I'll wear the bike shorts. I'll do the bike shorts thing. I'm totally into it. I've figured it out. And they said, no. This is the state of Tennessee that they have. Yeah, these Tennessee. I tried to do Memphis and Nashville. This was Tennessee. And how do, so how do people there go to the swimming pool or the beach or not, not that there's an ocean there, but not how a do you performance where there's not, you know, it's not a show. Okay. Yeah. And they could technically like they could do. And I said, well, they said, well, if you don't serve alcohol, you can do you can show anything, basically. But then the theaters don't want to do that because they make their money on the alcohol. After I bring in, you know, 3000 people, then they make a lot of money on the booze. So they don't want to do that. So that was the other thing. It's like, you know, the juice, there's the nude, all nude juice bars mind you, where you can be 18 and dance totally buck naked, which I worked in one of those when I was like 19. So that's okay. <laughs> so it's just all like, you can be 18 years old. And in many, many states across this country, you can work buck naked, legs open. But no a, alcohol. In a juice bar. Yeah. Okay. Tell me where the sense is in that. Like you can't be a grown person. And yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> I just find it shocking. So anyway, and then, and then more recently that, you know, the drag queens started coming under fire. Cause I was a little at this, this time a few years ago, I was like, but it's not fair. Like I lent Violet Chachki my martini glass to do some shows there. And it was a, like allowed for her to do me, you know, an impression of me, but I wasn't allowed to go there. But then since they've cracked down on them as well since then, which is, you know, I, I was hoping we could all band together, but it didn't work. Wow. Okay. So let's talk fashion. Okay. And you'll have to forgive me. I know I'm very fashion ignorant. I mean, I know nothing about fashion and I know that that's a huge part of your show. You have just fabulous designers and costumers that you work with. So tell me a little bit about that with the show. Yeah, well, the show is unparalleled for even Las Vegas terms, because one of the things that I, when I went into this, this epic theater that, that housed the great show Girl Review Jubilee, I asked them, I said, where, what happened to all the costumes from Jubilee? Because it was, you know, in the late seventies when they made this showgirl review the costume budget was like $3.5 million alone, <laughs> and which is like $12 million now. And I said, where's all the costumes from Jubilee? And I said, oh, we have them. And I go, go, can I use them in the show? And they said, yes. And so I'm using a combination of all these Bob Mackie and Pete Menefee costumes, which were in this show that ran for 40 years. It's like the most extravagant showgirl costumes you've ever seen. I mean, there'll never be a time again when anyone will spend this much money on showgirl costumes. It's a time capsule. It's extravagance. It's super over the top and decadent. So this is all part of my show. And then apart from that, I do work with a lot of fashion designers, 
all of my footwear is Christian Louboutin and we were good friends. So we create all these fantasy footwear things that sometimes end up in his line for my show. And Jenny Packham is another one of the designers. She dresses the Royals a lot. So she's made several looks for the show. These are all custom made. The yeah, shoes everything is custom made. Everything is custom made. Yeah. These aren't things you can buy off the rack. No way. And then I have like a, a copious amount of Swarovski crystal. So there's an incredible amount of bling in the show. Like you've never seen before. That's guaranteed. <laughs> so how so, much do you say the wardrobe costs, like all of it? together oh, okay well yeah. if you like again if you're talking about the bob mackie the existing vintage showgirl costumes i wouldn't you know like i said there are it's millions of dollars it's literally like 12 million dollars there was a million out of the archives for you yeah it's all going on stage again in a new way not all of it because there's tons of it but all of the bob mackie costumes and the pete manavie costumes the very best i've kind of cherry picked my favorite stuff so there's massive amounts of vintage feathers in the show so there's that and then my costumes and then there's the cast costume so i mean you know, just in my costumes, there's about $50,000 worth of Swarovski crystal, just loose Swarovski crystal that hasn't been placed on a costume yet. So if that gives you an indication, it's just like a lot of crystal, like big, 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 giant crystal. So a lot of people go that actually say that they actually hurt their eyes. It was so intense that the amount of sparkle on stage. So I, and I brought a lot of my existing like I call them stripscapes, but these, you know, the the concepts that me and my creative partner have created 23 years ago when we first met. So it's a lot of like these acts that I've done besides my martini glass that are being performed by other dancers as well. So it's kind of my life's work on stage. And a lot of people know me for the glass, but there's a lot of other things besides that. And since you've taken the road less traveled in your life. What you do is very unique and original. How do you define taking the road less traveled in one's life? Well, it kind of goes back to what I was saying before, where I never anticipated any of this. And I was just doing it because it was fun and I loved it. And I liked doing something that was different and unique. And I honestly thought, you know, when I was 21 years old starting this, I thought, oh, I'm going to be retired by the time I'm 30, you know, like I had kept like kind of aging myself or deciding in advance what was going to be, you know, how, how my life was going to go. Like, it was kind of just like, oh, I'm going to just document, you know, I'm going to do this fun thing and I'm documenting the, my youth or whatever. And it's like, so like eyeball rolling at this point to think about how you think of things when you're really young. Um, and yeah, I just never, I, the road less traveled just feels like to me, people are always asking me like, how can I do what you do? What can I do to be a burlesque star? And I'm like, I don't really know what to tell you because you have to follow what you love. And it, and it's got to be kind of rooted in some kind of obsession or true authentic affection for something. I don't have an, a step-by-step -step guide because for me, it was just about something I had to do and love to do. And I didn't care whether I made money doing it. And I just certainly didn't care if I was successful. Like to me, my, I remember like, you know, being 25 years old and 
headlining a strip club in Wichita Falls, you know, <laughs> it's like, and I was on a billboard and I, on the side of the road at a truck stop. And I was like, whoa, I have arrived. This is the height of my, this is the height of my career, you know, like I was to me. And I was really yeah. stoked. I was really happy about it. I was like, so I always felt very in the moment and cause I didn't have anyone else to look at that I could say I should be doing what she's doing. Right. He does. No, I was like, there was nowhere for me to look except for like Gypsy Rose Lee or Lily St. Cyr, who had been long gone for decades and decades. And there was no hope or glimmer of hope anywhere in the world where I could say, I'm going to be a great burlesque star because there was no one living that was doing what I wanted. Right. You're not, you're not saying I'm going to be the next no. so-and-so. I couldn't pretend I wanted to be the next Gypsy Rose Lee, but I was like, well, that's never going to happen in this day and age because there's no, I don't see a blueprint for it. I don't see someone else doing it. So I was very much like living in the moment and being, having like existing in gratitude all the time because I was really like, I never was like, I shouldn't be here. I should be somewhere better. So-and-so is somewhere better. I was just like, I am headlining this strip club now, you know, like just happy. No, the time things started really happening for me, I was a little like, whoa, I got to live up to this. Like anytime a magazine printed something good about me, I thought I better like do a good job. So, and even still like, yeah, I, I'm shocked I'm 51 years old and I'm headlining the biggest show of my life and I've managed to go through and take it to another level. And this show is definitely got everyone that's seen the show is like, whoa, it's like the tour is amazing, but this is like unbelievable. So even when I, when every night those curtains open and I'm coming, I'm coming down on this like showgirl disc, that's like five stories above the, it's like five feet it's precarious. I'm coming down on this thing. And as I'm going up, all the curtains are opening and there's all these like showgirls all in huge pink and orange feathers. And I'm like, I can't believe this is all for me. I can't <laughs> believe I got to do this. I can't, you know, it's really major for, for me. And because it's a huge accomplishment that I never would have even dared dream about, if that makes sense. Like I never would have ever, even a year ago said, I'm going to take over the biggest showgirl theater and I'm going to have this incredible, huge show with all of these amazing things. Like I was kind of just like, oh, I'm doing my tour and it's big and it's, you know, sells out all over the world. And I'm doing these, you know, I was doing like the Chicago theater, the Upper Garnier Monte Carlo with the Royals in presence, you know, like I just, I've done all these like amazing things all over the world, but this Vegas thing is like a new milestone, but I never made it a goal. It wasn't a goal. But that's it. But that's the thing is like the advice that you give is actually great advice because it, what you're basically saying is I just love doing this. It wasn't about when am I going to make it? When am I going to get this? When am I going to get that? It's like, no, I just love doing that. I have to do this. And to me, that's the best advice that you can give someone. Like you just, just enjoy the doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If that's one thing I say all the time is like, people are looking beyond for the mm -hmm. success or like, oh, I want free Louboutins too. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> 
But I got free Louboutins, not because I wanted Louboutins. I got them because I was enjoying myself so much. And somebody saw that. And and it's like very much like the universe conspires, but you have to be careful what you ask for and how you ask for it. You know, if you enjoy the process, you're always winning. Like, you know, I was always a success because I was having the time of my life. And sometimes I think, God, what I wouldn't give to go back to that strip club where nobody's got their phone out filming me. And it was just fun, you know? So all of it was like really rewarding, even if it wasn't a big deal to other people. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I was never like, I'm going to be a movie star. And in fact, I remember at one point I had a new manager and she's like, okay, now we've got to get you to be an actress. And I was like, I don't want to be an actress. I want to be the world's greatest burlesque star. That's all I want. I want to do that. I'm not, I didn't do this to get somewhere else. I did this because I believed in it. And that's, you know, that's important. I love it. And what are your, uh, well, beyond what we were just speaking about, what are your spiritual beliefs? Are you someone who prays? Are you someone who meditates? How do you connect with source? I'm more of a meditator. I did study transcendental meditation, although I do like a guided meditation as well. I have like my favorite people. Yeah, I wouldn't say, I believe it very much in like, you know, like we were just saying, like the universe and that we're all connected. I'm very like spiritual in that way. I'm, it's about like the connectivity and something bigger, but not about God and the Bible and all that kind of okay. stuff. Yeah. But do you like, do you kind of, when it comes to God, do you kind of feel that, I don't want to say throw the baby out with the bathwater because you're not an organized religion person. Like, do you separate the concept of God or a higher power from organized religion or is it kind of like one in the same thing for you? Yeah. I mean, I just feel like, and no disrespect for people with organized religion. It's just like never been part of my life. I mean, I, I love all the, you know, their costumes and their drama and their show business. <laughs> One time I I got banned by the bishop in New York at Ben Midler's Halloween party. Like I was set to perform and flew out. And then suddenly they were putting me, it was in this, um, a church that was like a, you know, an inclusive church. And they put me in the, the dressing room where the priests get ready and all their robes and their, their props, their things, their gold things were all there. And I was like, wow, this is intense. I'm in their dressing room. This is all show business. And then of course I promptly, the Bishop found out what I was, that I was who I was and they banned me from the entire thing. And, and so I ended up just watching the show. They were, I was like, well, do you think, because I'm on the bill, Bette Midler said, do you think you, she could just like stand, you know, in full costume by the glass and no performance. And he was like, absolutely not you're lucky this woman gets to stay in here and then meanwhile it was a halloween party and there were all these people dressed like satan around and i was like whoa whoa yeah anyway um that was like a like just went off on a tangent but i was just thinking about how like much of you know religion is it's crazy when you think about it so you've really had a you've had a front seat to some interesting hypocrisy 
around sex and women. Yeah. Yeah. Just because you're a woman, you cannot do that. You know, like a lot of that kind of feeling, I feel, I think, you know. Do you feel like some of Madonna's early work kind of helped to pave the way a little bit for kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say like exposing that, but some of some of the way that she played with with religious symbolism and and some of the stances that she took maybe like in the 80s and early 90s where she was like yes i i was raised catholic but i'm i'm a liberated woman and i'm owning my sexuality and i mean how do you how do you did you connect with that at all uh yeah for sure and i know that was never easy for her but i and i feel like i think we're living in a time where people can be both they can have their religion and they can still be you know powerful sensual erotic women i feel like that's you know isn't that i think that's one of the beauties of certain kinds of religion you get to pick and choose what you want right like which <laughs> right it's like part of it now, isn't it? I feel like I know a lot of religious people who come to my shows, don't think I'm going to hell, you know? So I think it's, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not great to speak about religion. I'm no like authority or scholar on religion. I've just, uh, I remember going to Sunday school when I was little with my grandma and I hated it because they would be like, why have you not been to church yet? Your mother doesn't take you to church. What is wrong with you? And I was like, whoa, <laughs> I'm here now. <laughs> and I'm hoping that I won't be here long. I didn't like that feeling <laughs> I'm told I was bad or that my mother was bad because she didn't take me to church. But, you know, my mother was raised, you know, went to an all Catholic or Catholic all girls school with like the nuns and all that stuff. So she didn't really want anything to do with religion. So I was raised without it, but grandma would take me to Sunday school because she didn't want me, she wanted me to be saved. Okay. You know, I just read that the Pope is now blessing gay mm. marriages. That was <laughs> too. Chair. Couldn't believe it. <laughs> That's progress. Like, yeah. So what is the best advice you've ever been given that you can remember and who gave you the advice? Yes, let's see. Well, I mean, there's the obvious ones like don't smoke, wear sunscreen, <laughs> you know, like those kinds of things. Like, I, I don't know. There's a lot of advice that I've always gleaned from. I love knowing older women and I, Mamie Van Doren is a good friend of mine. She's a, you know, famous fifties pinup bombshell. And she's given me good advice before about like money, you know, things like that. And, um, I had a friend that passed away a couple of years ago named Ilona Royce Miskin. And she was very eccentric woman. She died at 102, but I remember she called me at the start of the pandemic and she used to always give me good advice, like about what's important and what's not. And so I remember her telling me I was freaking out because my shows were all canceled because of the pandemic. And I was like, what am I going to do? And she was like, why don't you rest? <laughs> I was like, thoughts. She goes, you've done all this work. You've laid all the groundwork why don't you take this time to rest? And, and I, I was like, Oh, all right. And I did. And I, I, I rested <laughs> and I got rid of all my chronic pain and worked through some, you know, like 
did some therapy and was kind of like, Oh God, I feel better. I rested. I stopped for a minute. So I don't know. There's, I always listen when not always, sometimes you can't listen when the older people speak, but I like to have women that are decades beyond me and, and listen very carefully to them. But although Leslie Caron, you know, the great ballet star, movie star from the 50s, she told me I better stop wearing high heels and I would regret it. But yet I still wear them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you think there will ever be a time when you will want to hang it up? Or do you feel like you want to die on stage? Like, this is it. <laughs> I mean, I often think I love, like, even with, with this Vegas show, I've loved, like, putting my life's work on stage and watching other performers do my acts. And believe me, if I thought that I could, like, step back and just direct the show and be like, I'm just watching this, um, I would. But uh people still want to see me perform. So I think, okay, I'm going to keep doing it as long as I enjoy doing it. And as long as I feel comfortable and I'm always evolving, like the show is evolving and the numbers that, you know, there's numbers that are in the show, like with all these rhinestone carousel horses. And I used to, you know, bounce around on the carousel horse 23 years ago. And now I'm like, oh, well, I'm gonna let somebody else bounce around on the carousel horse. I want to do all of my acts are very like womanly and, you know, in my power and not, you know, some of the things that I created 23 years ago aren't the things I want to do now. But I love watching a younger generation do it. And so, yeah, I feel like in my perfect world is I am doing this Vegas show, like I said, like laying the groundwork, and then maybe I can slowly take step off of some of the acts and people will just enjoy it for the beautiful show that it is. Okay. But right now they're still like, How can we wanted more Dita in the show. And I was like, you did. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many more quick changes I can do. You still, you still look gorgeous. You look timeless. Thank you. I think it's important like people see themselves represented. And, you know, when I was younger, I wouldn't have thought about this because I didn't care. But like, you know, I think that more than ever, we need to see women in different stages of life, embracing their sensuality and eroticism and beauty. And I, it's important for me to see other women that are older than me doing it. And so it's important for me to do it for others too. Absolutely. And what do you think you came into this life as Dita Von Tees to learn? And what do you think you came here to teach? Hmm. Oh, that's a tough one. I feel like there are so many things that run through my mind when I think about what did I, what am I learning? I feel like I've just learned so many different things, like, and that's life. Life is just about learning and going through your stages of life and, and learning life lessons in your own way, because no one can teach you that. You can, mm -hmm. all the advice in the world can come your way and you're not going to take it all. So I don't know, I guess I've learned... I guess I've learned to just like follow my dreams, even if it is, like you said, the road less traveled, because I certainly did. And I believe me, not one day goes by that I don't walk through my house or walk into the Vegas theater and go, oh my God, this is my life. I can't, how did I get here? Mm -hmm. So I think, I don't know if that's really an answer, but it all comes from learning and evolving and, and seeing what's 
what's there, what's for me and what's not, and not being disappointed by what's not for me. And what do you think you came here to teach? And, you know, meaning like the legacy you'll leave behind, what you think people are learning from your life as a living example, like you're a living example of. I think I'll definitely, who knows in the grand scheme of things, you never know anyone's real importance, you know, <laughs> like, I don't know. But I think as far as like bringing back burlesque in a new way, I think it'd be kind of hard for people to deny that I had a big hand in it. I don't really like to like talk about myself that way, but I'm like, you know, it was kind of pretty much forgotten and swept under the rug. And it's a huge, like apart from my shows, it's a huge, huge, it's a business now. It's an industry. It's like all over the world and has become something that, you know, even br big brands and pop stars and clubs and restaurants, everyone wants to capitalize on. So it's, I never thought I would see that happen. It was, it, you know, I've kind of lived through this. So I guess I'm here to, <laughs> I was here to show people it could be done and how they could maybe do it. <laughs> any celebrities, any recording artists, movie stars, whoever, has anybody ever approached you and said, Hey, can you teach me this or teach me that or consult with me on this or that? Yeah, I mean, the obvious latest one was Taylor Swift, you know, that started with a phone call of me teaching her my martini glass and us doing it side by side in her video. I think a lot of people know about that. But there's been other things over the years, like when I did the Crazy Horse Paris, I, I mean, it's not really me teaching, but like, when I did Crazy Horse Paris, I was the first ever guest star and I had a DVD of the, the show and I sent it to Beyonce and that kind of like sparked the whole partition and the whole thing, the association with the crazy horse in Paris. So, yeah, I mean, I've had a lot of people, I mean, it's hard for me to think of, of all of them now, but of like, as far as teaching. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of like people approach me about teaching a lot of like TV shows or people. <laughs> That's the other thing is a lot of people want to like you know, bring me on their show or whatever. And I've been a little bit like, eh, I don't know, I'm not really willing to, how can I put this? If you call yourself like, you're like a show that's about rich people, do, you know, spending all their money, but they want you to come perform for free. I'm a little bit like, and your show's called what? This is the rate, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> you know, but I've done, I've, there was a TV, I can't remember what the TV show was talk show she's a talk show um but she has the skinny girl margaritas thing bethany bethany uh, yeah she, yeah i was asked to go on her show and teach her how to do my glass and guess what she didn't show up for rehearsal what and i was like why am i at rehearsal i don't need to rehearse <laughs> just blindfold with one hand tied behind my back so that was like a funny thing of like somebody who was like, you have to come rehearsal and you're going to teach her how to do this thing. And then she never showed up. And then we did it live on camera. And it was, I was like, you're on your own. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there's been tons of stuff like that over the years, for sure. Teaching people things. I can't, just can't remember all of them. Okay. Well, that but was yeah, a good one. Funny. And the most, uh, I feel like the best experience was Taylor. She's really like a kind girl in the whole conversation. She knew everything about what I do and was very like, okay, I, she wasn't, you know, she wanted to not just have me be behind the scenes teaching her to be, 
you know, in my glass, she wanted to showcase what I do, you know, because I think she's, Wait, she's which, which song is this? Which music video is this? Well, it's Bejeweled. Bejeweled. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It okay. was like the first one. I think the first one was it the no, maybe not the first one that came out on the recent record. But yeah. Okay. I'm gonna look for that. No, and like, a whole new audience, like a younger generation of women, you know, that were like Taylor Swift fans. It was pretty fun, pretty interesting. Yeah, I love that. So okay, so Dita Las Vegas, a jubilant review is playing until when? You're going into the spring? We have dates right now until end of April through April. And I'm, we're going to announce more dates soon, though. So I have New Year's Eve. I don't know how when this is airing, but we have New Year's Eve weekend, which is very exciting. And then I have a short hiatus that's like a little of off time January and February because I have some other gigs to do and whatnot. Um, and then we'll be back February 15th and we'll go through the spring. Nice. And what can people expect at this show in Vegas? Well, it's very, it's uh, along with all of my like famous stripscapes, it's like the ultimate Vegas review. There's no other show like this in Vegas. There's no other level of extravagance. This is where you'll see the quintessential showgirl, but you'll also see show guys. So, you know, I've also been, you know, it's like a showgirl review with all the dramatics and the feathers and the rhinestones, but there are an equal number of men performing the show as women. Interesting. Okay. Very interesting. Thank you, Dita. This was awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you guys really enjoyed that conversation. I learned so much. I learned a lot about, uh, about burlesque and I learned a lot about Dita's life and, you know, her, her journey. And I think that a lot of the advice and, and a lot of the philosophical thoughts that, um, and musings that she, that she was generous to share are, are very helpful. And, and I agree with it. It's, it's the way that I live my life is that you, I, I really don't think about the mountains in the distance. And I don't think about what I've accomplished or what I've yet to accomplish or what this other person is doing or has done or I really just try to take every opportunity every moment every gift that God blesses me with and just kind of revel in it and enjoy it and live in the moment and I think that that's what we should all do and I think that is its own success but it also leads to success because you're in this energetic frequency and it's just you're riding this wave and um, so I, I think that there was a lot to be learned from this conversation and I and I really I really appreciated speaking with her. And once again, if you are planning a trip to Las Vegas, if you live in the Las Vegas area, I would say that her show is a must-see. Go to ticketmaster.com forward slash Dita Vegas. Follow her on Instagram at Dita Von Tees, And you can also follow moi on Instagram at the Allison Kugel. Or you can see a lot of my interviews at allisoninterviews.com. And I will catch you guys on the next go-around. Peace. Peace.